Well, the time we have left, I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. We kind of did an overview of Revelation. We kind of did a flyover of the first 13 chapters. And we went back and looked. We, we, we started in chapter 13. And um, we made it about halfway through. Chapter 13 is a, is a pivotal chapter in, in Revelation. It, it actually shows the details of what's going to happen in the second half of the tribulation period. Chapter 12 is this, the second pause in the book of Revelation. It's right after the seventh trumpet and right before the first bowl judgment. And in chapter 12, there is this war that takes place in heaven between the woman and the child and the dragon. And then chapter 13 follows and gives us the details of the, of the second three and a half years of, of the tribulation period. Revelation 13 reveals the rise of the Antichrist. The rise in, 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 in governmental authority. And also his rise in a, in an apostate church. And, and all of that helps to deceive the world's population. The target of both the, the Antichrist reign in, in the one world government and in the apostate church, the target will be the converted believers during the tribulation period and, and, and the Jews. And the enemy being the Antichrist, will, will mark his followers by what is called the mark of the beast. This is the chapter that talks about 666 and the, and the mark of the beast. So it's, it's very familiar. During the tribulation period, there's going to be a world leader who will rise, who is empowered by Satan, and all of the world is going to follow him. All of those except those that are preserved by, by God. He's... He's going to bring the unbelieving world together under one rule. He's going to blaspheme the one true God. He's going to attack God's followers. And, and he's going to have the backing of a, of a counterfeit religion that deceives the world and, and leads to the worship of this, of this one world leader. This is not fiction. This is actually going to, to take place. And these two systems are the... The government and religious system are called the first and the second beast. And they are fueled by the great dragon of, of chapter 12. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Let's read. It says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. And then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were, were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like, like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And, and the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads and as if it had been slain, and this fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war against him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and an authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. 
And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. And if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is, is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Here's the second beast. And he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs, that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. So the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or of the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Here are the two systems described, uh, the first beast and the second beast. There There is a world system and an apostate religion. There's the blasphemous beast of the world. That's what's presented in the first ten chapters. This is the governmental seat. And then there is the apostate beast of the religious system. So the government and the religion. And the first ten chapters describes the the rise of the beast, the wound of the beast, the worship of the dragon, and then the blasphemous personality and then the dominion of the beast. And then finally, the the preservation of of the elect. Look, if you would, at verse 1 of Revelation 13. There's a dragon that stood on the the sand of the seashore and a beast. John sees a beast coming up out of the out of the sea and having ten horns and seven heads and his horns were ten diadems, crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, we've said before, don't get don't get so caught up in the in the symbols here. This is not complicated. Heads and horns and crowns are all symbolic of kingdoms. They, they represent authority. All of those represent the same thing. It's, it's like the husband is the head of the wife. It represents he's the authority. And horns represent strength and, and power. An animal's horn is, is its glory, its weapon, and it indicates its power and its strength. So you obviously understand what a crown is. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 8. And it's a scene attributed to this to the great dragon of, of, of chapter 12. The seven heads and the ten horns and the crowns refer, refer to the world's kingdoms. 
And they're all under the control of the dragon. They're all under the control of Satan. And now a ruler rises up to lead all of those different, all of those different kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world. And that leader is under the control of the dragon that, that stands on the sand of the seashore. Satan has, has control over the kingdoms and blasphemies are, are, are written on these kingdoms, the reference to, to their allegiance. They're not, these worldly kingdoms are not, um, they don't have their allegiance with God. Now the beast described here in verse 2 is one like a leopard, like a bear, a mouth like, like a lion. And you've probably heard many different Many different interpretations. The, the, the leopards, the Iran, and the bears, Russia, and the lion is, is Iraq. But, but they weren't even around whenever John wrote this. And I think you would be really careful about attributing symbolism to, to modern day, modern day countries. We, we don't know what, what this is going to be. I think John's point is not who they are today, but, but they're, they're the nations that are foretold in, in Daniel. And Daniel talks about three great world systems. There was the Babylonian Empire, there was the Medo-Persian Empire, and then there's the, the Alexandrian and the Roman Empire. And there's a fourth one that's coming. There's a great empire that's coming in the world. And that great empire is going to be this last empire fueled by, by Satan. It's going to have a, a single world leader. It's going to be more powerful than all of the other three Combined. It's going to have the swiftness of a leopard, the majesty and power of a lion, the strength of a bear. And this, this world government, the dragon gives his power and his authority. Look at the end of verse 2. The dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And this, this beast has a wound in verse 3. I saw one of his heads and it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and, and followed after the beast. Now, there's countless interpretations about, about who this is or, or what it is. It's a head that was wounded, it rises again, and it causes the world to, to, to marvel. It could, be, it could be a supernatural miracle. Of, of one of the leaders, if, if you want to keep with the theme of the of the empires, this this could be a future empire that 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 seemed dead, and and there's a revival of that empire, and it's it's almost seems miraculous, and the world's going to fall in after it, but they're going to have one purpose, and that's to worship the 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 dragon. All of the false religions of the world are fueled by satanic power, and this future government is is no different. And their worship is, is going to be going to be avert. Verse four, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? That's that's what Israel used to say about about God. Who who is like our God? There's the blasphemy. Talked about the, the worship of of Satan. And this beast is going to have a blasphemous personality. Verse 5, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant word and blasphemies and authority for 42 months and, and six months. Here's the, here's the, the three and a half years. The evil character of this world ruler is on full display. He's boasting. He's blaspheming. And, and he's going to be able to do this for, for three and a half years. But then his mouth's going to be stopped. And don't miss that. He's allowed to blaspheme for this period. Who allows him to do that? God does. 
who is the one that sets the end. God does. So Satan is never in total control. And when the king of kings returns at the, at the end of the three and a half years, his mouth will be stopped at Christ's very, very command. Before we get there, this world ruler is going to have universal dominion over the earth. Look at verse 7. And it was also given to uh, the ability to make war uh, and slay the saints to overcome them. And, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. This is, this is world domination. God will permit the beast to do his work uninhibited for this short period of time. And he's going to make war with the saints. That literally means he's going to conquer them. He's going to put them to death. And Satan, during this part of the tribulation period, will, will have worldwide domination. And he'll use his authority to kill anyone who confesses Christ. You, you, there will be people who will come to Christ during the tribulation period, but it will cost their, their lives. And the only way that you will escape death during, during this period is if you worship the beast. And yet God is going to preserve the elect. Look, if you would, at verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will, will worship him. Everyone whose name was not, has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. All who dwell on the earth will, will worship the beast. Those will be everyone whose name was not written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. Now, there's a contrast here. There's those who dwell on the earth and those whose name is is, is written down, specifically here, written in the, in the book of life. And Revelation talks about the book of life five different times. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about the book of life. It talks about it here. It talks about it in Revelation 17, 8, the book of life. In Revelation 20, verse 12, Revelation 20, verse 15, and also in Revelation 21, verse, verse 27. Here it is the, the Lamb's book of life, meaning it's a, it's a book that belongs to the Lamb. Those that are in the book belong to the, to the Lamb. And the Lamb is Christ who is slain before the foundation of the world or, or pre-creation, prior to creation. Christ was, was slain. And, and God has a book which registers the citizens of heaven before you, before you ever get there. And the way you get in that book is, is, is Christ. And those who are in the book are purchased by the blood of the Lamb. That's what Revelation 12:11 said when we looked at that a while back. Now, there are two possibilities in, in verse 8 for, for what this before the foundation of the world modifies. The, here's the two possibilities. It's either it modifies the names, like, like my translation is, is saying. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life. So, so the, before the foundation of the world is either talking about the names that were written. It's like Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verse 4. You know that verse well. One of the first ones I memorized. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessing in heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the, of the world. So it's either modifying the names that are in the book. Those that are in the book were written in the book before the foundation of the world. Or it's talking about the lamb was slain before the, the foundation of the world. 
meaning that God's plan of redemption has been established before creation. Christ was slain before the, the foundation of the world. And it's, it's a toss-up. I don't think you'd be dogmatic about it. Uh, the Greek order actually favors the lamb being slain before the earth was, was created. But, but both are taught in Scripture. And neither changes the, the point. The point here is the absolute security of believers. Christ was, was the lamb before creation. First Peter clearly tells us that. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. For your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That's talking about Christ. Jesus, the plan for Jesus to die on the cross wasn't plan B. It was plan pre-creation. And believers are also chosen by God in eternity. The other place in Revelation 17, it's, it's unmistakable that it's talking about those names in the book of life. Listen to Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss to go to the destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It's clear it's talking about the names there. Will wonder when they see the beast. That he is and that he is not not to come. So whether it's the names or whether it's the lambs, the the point is you have nothing to fear about what's coming in the in, in the future. Satan's going to rise, men will fall, and God will preserve some, and they'll not bow to the beast in this last three and a half years. And those who are in that group will face tremendous religious pressure. Verse 11 through 18, here is the, the apostate beast of the, of the religious system. There's a description of the beast in verses 11 and 12. There's the deceptive miracles of the beast in verses 13 and 14. There's the demand to worship the beast in verses 15 and 17. And then there's the... The digits of the beast, and I don't mean fingers, because, you know, preachers have to have all D's there in a row. So, verse 11, here's the description of the beast. Then I saw another beast. Notice, it's another beast. It's not the same as the one in verses 1 through 10. Another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a, as a dragon. Now, the Antichrist, the first beast, is political and military leader, the, this false prophet, this second beast, will be a religious leader. And I want you to notice he has two horns. He doesn't have ten. He's less powerful than the ten-horned Antichrist. So this religious leader will be subservient to the, to the political leader. And yet both will be fueled by, by Satan. He's going to have two horns. But notice what else, how else it describes him in verse 11. He's like a lamb... And he spoke as a dragon. He's like a lamb and he speaks as a dragon. He's going to present himself as a false Christ. He's going to be like a lamb. And yet he's going to speak with a forked tongue. He'll speak for, for Satan. And the Bible warns us that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. His heart is dark. 
in his words kill, but he presents himself like Christ many times. Satan has no problem with religion. Has no problem with spirituality. There's all kinds of spiritual people in the world that are going to hell. Satan only cares about the gospel and what you do with it. And he's going to unite, this second beast is going to unite all the worldwide religions and they're going to worship the Antichrist. Look at verse 12. He exercises all authority of the first beast. He's under the first beast and he's in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it worship the first beast. So the religious leaders subservient to the to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will be the one being worshipped, whose fatal wound was healed. The false prophet exercises the same kind of power as the Antichrist because he has the same source. He's going to influence the world, and he's going to have a reputation of a miracle worker. Back me up there, Tim, would you? That's not Revelation 13. There you go. One more. One more. Okay, a bunch more. Right on down. There you go, right there. Here's the... Deceptive miracles of the beast. Look at verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of of men. It says he performs great signs. It's in the present tense. It it has the idea of, of he continues to perform deceptive miracles and that keeps the people believing. And the Bible tells us that Satan has the ability to to do limited supernatural works. Satan is, is an angel. He's not like man. He's more powerful than, than we are. He's not God. He doesn't have the power of God. Whatever ability he has, he was created with, and he's given a certain level of, of dominion. But Satan is able to do things that human beings cannot. Janice and Jambres in... In, in the opposition of Moses, before Pharaoh's court was able to perform, they were able to perform some supernatural signs, but, but only so far. It was limited. They did that by the power of, by the power of, of Satan. And the signs he'll do are, are counterfeits to the real prophets. I, I, I mean, that's really the point of verse 13. He performs great signs, and, and look at this sign that's identified. So that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of, of men. These signs that the false prophet is going to do are counterfeits of the real prophets. Who made fire come down out of heaven? Elijah did. Now, why is that significant? Elijah is the great prophet, and Elijah is the one who's going to come and do what? What's he, who's going to come after Elijah? The Messiah is going to come. Elijah is going to pave the way for the Messiah. So here is, here's exactly the way it's going to work. That Jesus and that, that, that church that's already gone and all of that happened, that, that wasn't true. Here is the true Elijah. Here is the world's true Messiah. Look at these amazing miracles. 
And we don't know what exactly it is. It's either trickery or something more, but the point is clear. It's, it's to imitate the true prophet Elijah because he's going to prepare the way for the, for the Messiah. And the false prophet is going to be able to deceive through deceptive miracles. And they won't come close to God's, but it'll be enough to deceive the unbelievers of the, of the earth. And that's exactly what Jesus talked about, this verse that was up there. Jesus was telling his disciples about this time in Matthew 24. You remember right in the middle of the Passion Week when Jesus goes into the temple and he comes out of the temple and he goes over to the Mount of Olives and he teaches his disciples. They ask him, what's going to be the sign of your coming and, 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 and when's the end going, going to come? And Jesus tells them. Tells them about the signs and, and what it's going to look like in, in the end. And, and he tells them that there's going to be people that are going to come as false Christ. Look, here's Christ. There he is. And he says, don't believe it. The false Christ and the false prophets will appear and they'll perform great signs and wonders that would deceive even the elect if it were possible, which, of course, it's not. But the point is, Jesus foretold of this day, and that's exactly what, what this is, what's happening here. And all of them are there to lead the inhabitants of the earth to make an image of the beast and worship it. Look at verse 14. These great signs are for deception. He deceives those who dwell on the earth over and over and over. Those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth. Because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Here's an image. And Satan is a counterfeiter. Satan creates nothing. All he does is take creation and he twists it. And you think about all of the different things, I mean, even in your world. He takes marriage. And he perverts it. He twists it. He takes intimacy and he perverts it and he, he twists it. He takes whatever it is and he twists it. And this image is some replica, replica, replication of the Antichrist. Probably like the abomination of desolation. Whatever the abomination of desolation, the, the image of the Antichrist that's set up in the temple, erected about halfway through, there's going to be some image and that's going to be used to, for people to, to worship. And yet God says, make no graven image. Beware the trinkets of, of popery that you have today. We don't need blonde-haired, blue-eyed pictures of Jesus. We don't need little icons to carry around. We don't need crosses with Jesus hanging on them. Christ dwells in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And while the world is first invited by the awe of Satan's tricks, it's going to soon turn into forced worship. If you would, at verse 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and, and cause as many who do not worship the beast to be killed. Now, it's going to move from, wow, look how amazing this is, I want to worship him, to an image to this image being empowered in some way, and now there's going to be forced worship, and if you don't, you're going to die. He's going to just move them right along this, this continuum. In some way, this, this image is going to speak. Probably like demons you see in the New Testament, they, 
they speak through the individuals that, that they inhabit. Somehow Satan is going to speak through this image, and it's going to seem alive, it's going to utter words, and it's going to say, worship me or die. Satan always promises what he'll never deliver, and he actually delivers, what he actually delivers is, is slavery. Sin is pleasurable for a season, for a short season. But what you're going to pay is, is with your very life. If you would have verse 16, he calls us all, small and great, rich and poor, free men and slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. The false prophet makes all the inhabitants of the earth to receive a mark on the right hand or on their forehead. The list is distresses the totality of society. Small and great, rich and poor, free men and slaves, all will receive the mark. Everybody. And the word that's used here for mark is, is like a likeness. It's, it's like the image of Caesar that was stamped on a coin. Or the, the likeness of a, of a seal on a, on, a, on a scroll, stamped on important documents. You take a ring and you stamp it in there. It's going to be some mark. We're not told specifically what the mark is. It's going to identify people as Satan's property, and that's the point. It's going to be like the mark of slaves. Slaves were typically marked. They were owned and, or defeated soldier in, in John's day. In battle, they would be branded. And that meant that, that it was attributed to who owns you now. I think it will be a lot like the deception of satanic religions today. If you, go to, if you go to India, you go to certain parts of the world, Satan has his mark on Hindus where they take the... The dot, the paste, after they've worshipped the god at the temple, there's a little bowl there of rice paste. It's either yellow or red. And they put it and they put it in their forehead. And what they're saying is, I have worshipped the gods today. That's to proclaim to everyone, I've worshipped the gods today. And to proclaim to the other gods that you've worshipped them. And as I've said, we've talked about that when Govinda has, has shared you know, about Nepal you have to ring the bell to wake the God up to tell him that you're there to worship him. If you have to do that, it's not a, not a very powerful God. You've got to wake the God up. And then you have to put something on your forehead to let the other gods know that you actually worship so they won't do bad things to you. That, that's a pretty small God, too. But when you put that into context, it's, it's pretty sad. Here are millions of people on the earth walking around with a mark of Satan on them. They've worshipped a false god. This is another counterfeit. Satan will mark his people. How are the people of God marked? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. You have a seal on you as well if you're a believer. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the evidence that you're God's possession. Believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we know that we belong to God because He's given us His Spirit. And Satan marks his followers as well. And because the first beast controls the government and commerce, then no one's going to be able to buy or sell or operate unless they identify with with the beast. Look at verse 17. And he provides... 
that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. You think people who who are during this period of time will go hungry or be out of work rather than submit? I guarantee you they're going to submit. The Bible says it, but you can just look today. People don't like to be uncomfortable. They're going to line up in droves. And again, I don't think the point here is is where the mark is or what the mark is. The point is they're going to associate with this apostate system. He's going to mark them, going to know, and they're going to associate with them. And then verse 18, he gives the number, the digits of the beast. Look at verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. And I'd say probably no verse in Revelation has been given more attention than this one. I told you the story about the guy, the well-meaning fellow that, that came to, evangelist that came to Red House, and he did two things. I was a youth pastor then, and one thing was, he said the mark of the beast was the www of the internet, it was four Hebrew letters, or three Hebrew letters, 666, so don't get on the internet or you'll take the mark of the beast. The other thing he said was, he interpreted a passage about eating meat, eating meat sacrificed to idols. And he said if something about eating hamburgers, if you eat meat, it can open you up to demon possession. I had to deal with all of the, all the kids in the youth group for the next week that were afraid to go to McDonald's because they didn't want to be, they want to open themselves up to demon possession by eating a hamburger. This verse starts though with a call to wisdom. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the, the number of the, of the beast. It's a call to wisdom and a call to understanding. And the beast number is given, 666. Many interpretations as to what that number means. But I think that the best is what the verse says. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of man. The person who has wisdom is to calculate, and the number is that of man, and man's number is, is six. And six falls short of the, the perfect number of seven. And there are three of them. Again, a counterfeit trinity. Six, six, six. And I think the point is, even with all of Satan's efforts, he can't rise beyond creation. He can't rise unto perfection, the perfections of God. And, and his number and his followers represent an imperfect trinity. And they're going to be, they're going to be marked by that, by that number. What we do know is whatever 666 means, the Lord will reveal to us when we get into heaven. And there's no reason to argue or split churches over it until we get there. What I can tell you with absolute certainty is you don't want to be here and be in this situation. And you don't have to be if you'll trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, freely offered to all who will repent and believe. And then you will be not called before the beast to take a mark. You'll be called up together with the other saints in the air to meet the Lord. And we'll skip all of this. 
And at the end of the three and a half years, when King Jesus returns, you'll return with Him. Isn't that a whole lot better deal? It's a whole lot better deal. And in the process, your sins are forgiven. You're granted the Holy Spirit the ability to understand the Bible. And the sweet unity and the fellowship of the saints... And the promise of heaven. All the sinners who don't deserve it all because, as we saw this morning, He humbled Himself and came and came to us. Why don't you bow your heads? We'll close in a word of prayer. Next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up with chapter 14. And I don't know your hearts tonight. I don't know where you're at with the Lord, but I'm going to pray. And, and as I do, if, if you don't know Christ, I would just encourage you to search your heart and trust Him. And if you need help in doing that, you, you've got questions, I'll, I'll be up here afterwards. But the main thing is, is do it while you have opportunity. Because you may not have another opportunity. You're not promised Another day. And if you're a believer here, this is real and this is coming. So you need to share Jesus with other people.